0: Uh, you know the Marvel uh, superhero like studio movies have been hugely uh, successful. And um, actually one of the underlying assumptions uh, in many of these uh, movies is the existence of the multiverse, right? Um, so it's a multiverse is a, a hypothetical like theory that says that there are multiple universes. Like parallel universe or what or another in another term is a parallel universe or alternate universe. Um, and that includes ours, too. The, the universe, the, the world that we live in is just one, but there are many such uh, worlds uh, out there. Um, and I heard from um, a pastor friend who had a youth student asking him, after watching a Marvel movie, which I'm not going to name which one it is because I don't want to spoil anything. After he, uh, this uh, youth student, probably in a middle school, watching a Marvel, Marvel movie, He asked him if there would be multiple Jesuses, right, in the multiverse. Uh, I mean, it's something that I guess a young student would ask. Well, the answer is no, because God did not create the multiverse. God created this one universe. James 1, uh, no, I'm sorry, Hebrews 1.3, it says this. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. So there, Hebrews, it clearly says that God has created this universe, and this is all we have, right? This multiverse uh, is pure, uh, it's hypothetical. Uh, Obviously, you cannot prove it, but... According to the scripture, God has created the universe, not the multiverse. And one, one of the foundational truths of scripture is that God is creator of heavens of the heavens and the earth, and that he is the sustainer of all things. And I think uh, one of the biggest uh, misunderstandings that we have as Christians is that just because we have heard this truth, that we think we know it. We think what this is, what this says. I already know, so you know, people immediately say, I already know this. Right? That I, I already know that God is creator, God is sustainer. Tell me something that I do not know. Nothing can be further from the truth. Just because you have heard, you, you have a head knowledge about a truth does not mean that you truly understand uh, the, the truly, under, uh, truly understand, uh, tra- understand the, the truth as it should intellectual assent is not equal to true knowledge just because we know it and just because we nod in our head in agreement just because we know it intellectually and assent it's not equal to true knowledge because according to James 2.19 uh, you believe that God is one You do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. So obviously, James is saying, just because, you know, we know the truth that God is one or God is creator, God is sustainer. Hey, you do well. I mean, he's kind of being a little sarcastic here. Even demons know that, right? Does that mean demons have the the true knowledge or the saving knowledge of, uh, of God? Of course not. We can have the intellectual assent and say, okay, I already know this. I know that God is creator, duh, right? But that does not mean that we have the true knowledge. Shallow, deficient head knowledge leads us to think that we know the truth when in reality, we really don't. The Pharisees and the scribes, thought that they knew the Bible inside and out. I mean, you know, many of them, they would really memorize, literally memorize the whole Old Testament. So, of course, in their minds, they, knew, they thought that they knew the Bible, but Jesus often rebuked them for their misplaced arrogance, the confidence, wrong assumptions, and the pseudo-knowledge that they had. Just because they had all this, obtained all this knowledge about the Bible does not mean that they truly knew word of God when you have a solid understanding of the truth then you have a good grasp of the implications of the truth implications of that truth and how they are to transform your way of thinking and living when you hear the gospel and you hear that Jesus came and died for your sins, for your salvation. If you, if you deduce from it or if you from that, what you're thinking is, if you, when you heard that, that Jesus came and died for our sins, for our salvation, if your reaction is, good, Jesus loves me. Now I am going to heaven, right? That's great. Thank you, Jesus. I call on you when I'm in need. This line of thinking is a head knowledge that does not bring about transformation. If that's what you're thinking. True knowledge of the gospel would say, when you hear that, what you can, what you, uh, what you, and the understanding goes something like, you know, I am a sinner, unworthy of his offer of salvation. I must repent and turn from my rebellious ways and trust in him wholeheartedly. Amazing grace, you know, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Christ is my Lord, and I am to love him by obeying him all the days of my life. I must tell others also about this good news of Jesus Christ. And you actually follow through on your resolve then that becomes a true knowledge. If it just stays in your head, oh, good, okay, it's good. Jesus, thank you. But if your life does not change, if you do not understand the implications of the truth that you hear, then you may think that you know it, but it just stays in your head. It's cognitive knowledge, intellectual assent that does not transform your life. But when you truly have that understanding, if you get to the point of understanding the implications of the truth, then that truly becomes a solid understanding, solid knowledge of the truth. So when you saw today's sermon topic, God is creator and sustainer, and if you're about to uh, tune out, okay, I already know this, right? Then it's likely that you don't really know this truth as you should. What you have likely is an intellectual ascent, head knowledge, that stays in your head, and nothing more. As I said, if you know it, then you would know the implications of this truth. And if you know the implications, then your life will change. When you see a change in your life according to the truth, then you know that you have a solid grasp and growing understanding of the truth. If you do not see any transformation and change in your life. Then you do not know. I'm sorry to say, but you do not know it as you should. If you claim to know, the, if you claim to know this truth. then let me ask you, tell me what change or changes that you have seen in your life by knowing this truth. Think about it for a second. God is creator and God is sustainer. We all know that. So what change has that brought in your life? If you say, I don't know, nothing much, then likely it, this truth is just a simple head knowledge that has nothing to that hasn't really changed your way of life. So let's dig in, uh, dive in here. In today's passage, Paul is preaching in Athens, the uh, the leading Greek city. And although conquered by Romans in uh, 146 BC, Athens continued to be a great intellectual and cultural center. So by the time, uh, you know, we didn't get to read, but in uh, verse 16, Um, It says, and now while Paul was waiting for them at Athens, his spirit was provoked within him as he saw that the city was full of idols. So um, the verse 16 tells us that Paul was deeply troubled by the city, full of idols. You know, the famous Parthenon, right, housed many statues of gods and goddesses along with other temples uh, on the Acropolis, and no wonder his spirit was provoked within him. I mean, right now what we see is it just remains, right? It just feel like but majestic like columns, right? You could only just uh, imagine the scale of it. But in, in, in Paul's time, it was a, you know, just this huge imposing structure full of just uh, gods and goddesses, Roman gods or the Greek gods. So imagine how Paul would have been so disturbed within him. It's just as if, like, I remember the time when, uh, uh, you know, uh, going to, I forget it was in Tibet, in one of the mission trips, and then we happened to just uh, stop by at a Buddhist temple. It's imposing structure, right? And this huge, like, uh, statue of Buddha, right? And just this weird-looking, like, creatures uh, at the, the door, and it's a little scary, too. And it's very disturbing, but you can just imagine Paul, Being in the city of Athens, considered the cultural and intellectual center of the world, being full of idols. He was deeply disturbed. And he goes uh, to Areopagus, Mars Hill, like translated Mars Hill. Hill. He goes there and he proclaims that God is the creator, as in verse 24. He claims, hey, you have, uh, you know, a God to the unknown God, right? This is the unknown God that I'm about to proclaim to you. And he goes on in verse 24, the God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth. Here he proclaims that God is the creator. He claims that God is the cause, the cause and the maker of all things. And nothing would exist apart from him. he alone is creator, and he would not share this title with anyone else. You know, Hebrews chapter 3, verse 4 says this. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. Think about a house that you live in right now. Did it simply come into being by itself? Of course not. The existence of a house implies a builder with purpose and intelligence. How much more does this complex universe imply a personal and intelligent creator? Even though it may seem random at times, there are laws that govern the universe. The law of gravity, right? the law of like action and reaction, cause and effect. The law of like vibration, even like every single thing, like in a molecular uh, molecular level or an atomic level, things are not just, even this solid things that we see that seem like it's it's not moving, but in an atomic level, it's moving, it's vibrating. All of these kind of the laws, there are certain laws that are governing this universe. All the complexities in the universe point to a creator. And here Paul also says that God is the sustainer of all. In verse 25, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. God is not only the creator, but he is also the sustainer. It means that if he were to turn, turn away from his creation, even for a moment, all would perish. He faithfully sustains, sustains us by his power. I mean, you may have the most beautiful, like, puppy, right, that you can just post on online, and people will say, that's like, 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 right? You may have it. You may have something like that in the world, but if you do not take care of it, right, he won't survive for long. Without God, the universe would never have been brought into existence, and without his continued care, the universe and every living thing would cease to exist. All things exist in absolute dependence upon Him. Job 34 says this If He should set His heart to it and gather to Himself His spirit and His breath, next what? All flesh would perish together and man would return to dust. If God or to just take his eye, let me just take a quick break, five-minute break, everything will cease to exist. Everything will crumble and completely just uh, will be an absolute chaos and destruction. So, so far, so good. We all know this. God is the creator and the sustainer. So then, what are the implications of this truth? first thing, I just have two. The, The first implication is that we owe our existence to God. We owe our existence to God. Without God, we would not have existed. We wouldn't be here if God did not intend us to be here. We owe every breath that we breathe. Every movement that we have, we owe it to God. The fact that we are still breathing in and out, we owe it to God. It's not so much because we are young or because we are healthy that we are still alive. And that's what most of us think. Oh, I have to just you know maintain, of course, we need to because our body is a temple of the spirit. But more so than our youth, our age, our, uh, the degree of our health, More than that, the bottom line is, it is God who is giving us breath. It is God who is giving us movement at any moment. Who knows? We may be hit with a a stroke or whatever. Even the simple movement that we have, it is because God is sustaining us. Every being lives in absolute dependence on God whether it is the highest angel to the lowliest worm the man who walks in the man who walks with God in humility and the one who curses God in defiance have this in common that they live and breathe and move by his gracious sustaining power it follows therefore that God claims all things As his own. It is not wrong for God to claim that everything belongs to him. One foundational truth that we must grasp is that we are not our own. And this is a part that so many of us do not fully understand that we are not our own. We we were not made for ourselves. We belong to the one who made us, and we are responsible before him to live according to his will and for his glory and good pleasure. Genesis 14, the name of God there is the possessor. God is the possessor of heavens and the earth. He possesses. He owns. owns it all. He is the owner of all. You know, when we talk about God being the creator, evidently, the question of the divine purpose of creation comes up, right? That question always comes up when we talk about the creation. So, if God was under no obligation to create the universe, and if he did not need, any, uh, did not need the universe to fill some kind of void in his heart, in, in him, in his existence, then what is the purpose behind creation and the existence of man? I mean, for what? If he really didn't need anything from us, why did he bother to create this whole universe? Why? The scriptures unapologetically declare that it is for the glory and the good pleasure of God. That's the reason, that's the purpose of his creation, for his glory and for the good pleasure of God. He is absolutely free from any need or dependence. As we read in verse 25, nor is he served by human hands. What we try to offer to God, he doesn't really need, as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. He does not in need of anything. He's absolutely uh, independent of anything. He's free from any need or dependence. The fulfillment of his will and his good pleasure do not depend on anyone or anything outside of himself. In reality, what we try to give to God or do for God, he doesn't really need it. He, he doesn't really crave it. Or by that, he will be more complete, as if he were somehow incomplete before. No. All other beings derive their life and blessedness from God. But all that is necessary for his existence and the perfect happiness are found in him, himself. He doesn't need it outside of himself. To suggest that God made man or this world because he was somehow lonely or incomplete is absurd, and actually it's unbiblical to suggest that or think along that line. Why did God create this heaven, uh, heaven and the earth? For what? And if he say, well, maybe because he, he needed our praise. He needed our worship so that he would feel a little more, hey, you know, just kind of to, to, to build up his confidence or something like Anything along that line of thinking is wrong. It is absurd. Creation is not the result of some lack in God, but the result of his fullness, the overflow of his abundance. Let me repeat that. I think it's really important to understand. Creation is not the result of some lack in God, God did not create this universe because he was, he, he was in some, some kind of need. I, I, like, he was like 99.9% like fully happy, but there was just a one zero point zero 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 one point percent of a need that he had. So just to complete that, just to make it like over the top, that he created this universe. No, creation is not the result of some lack in God, but rather it is a result of his fullness. God is a God of fullness. It is the overflow of his abundance, out of his overflowing abundance, that he created this whole universe. He created us to manifest his greatness and receive from us the honor and worship that is due him. Now, I can see some people's eyebrows raised. Uh, Pastor Wijin, that kind of sounds pretty self-centered that god has created us so that he may receive honor and worship from us that sounds pretty self-centered wouldn't you say it's kind of selfish on god's part nothing can be further from the truth listen carefully here there are two reasons the first thing the first thing we have to uh, when when i say this and if you think that just because God has created us so that he may receive glory and honor from us. And if you think that that is pretty selfish of God, here are two things that we have to understand before you even get to that point. First, God is worthy to take the highest place above his creation. And he is worthy to be the object of our worship. For him, to deny to himself the first place above his entire creation would be to deny that he is God. You understand? If God said, I don't want the highest place, or maybe I'm not worthy of it, man, you are are higher than me, so take it. You are greater than me. You take the highest place. He would deny, then he would cease to be God. By definition, God cannot be lower. The Maker, the Creator, is greater than the creation. He is absolutely, first, first of all, he is absolutely worthy to take the highest place. It is only right that God is properly recognized. It's a different story if he didn't belong there, if he wasn't wasn't worthy to take the highest place, if he's trying to just claw his way up there and say, no, mm," he's just going to elbow everybody out, right? Every creation, everything else, and say, aha, I won. Okay, now I'm the best. I'm the champion. Now you worship me. If he didn't truly deserve it, but he somehow fought, battled through it, and won it, triumphed and says now you worship me that's a different story then we can say that he is being selfish but he rightfully deserves to be worshipped properly recognizing his position and our place before him is the essence of worship what is worship really is to properly understand who god is And properly understand who we are before him. That is the essence of worship. Worship is not some kind of like putting some tunes to to the songs and the singing. We often say, you know, praise and worship. We usually think of just the praise time. But that is not truly, uh, that is part of worship. But the true essence of worship is properly recognizing who God is in light of who we are. And they're giving him due praise. Recognize who God is properly. That is the essence of worship. That's why the worship can take place anywhere at every moment without any kind of music, background music. It can take place in our quiet time as we walk, take a walk, as we eat, whatever that we may be doing. Even as we work, we can still praise God and worship God. Our work should be a place it's an extension of our worship before God. And the second thing is, here's the thing. The greatest good that God could ever do for us and the greatest kindness that he could ever show us would be to direct all things in such a way that that his greatness might be fully displayed before us. The greatest good that God could ever do for us and the greatest kindness that he could ever show us is to channel all our attention and everything in such a way that his greatness might be fully displayed before us. That is the best thing that he could ever do for us. If God is of infinite worth, beauty, and majesty, which he is, if God is of that infinite worth, then the most valuable, beautiful, and majestic gift that he could ever give us would be to show us his own glory. Does that make sense? Do you understand? If that's who God is, how incredible, incredible, infinite, great, awesome, sovereign God giving us more money, pay raise, Giving us what we want, giving us good health, good children, good job, good marriage. Yeah, those are all good gifts. But the greatest gift and the most loving thing that he could ever do for us is to reveal his glory to us. Because that is the greatest thing. He's simply revealing to us, showing us and fully displaying his glory to us. That is the most greatest thing, the the best gift that we could ever have could ever get from God. If a philanthropist gives from his wealth, the recipients can either say, whoa, he's being really selfish. Man, he's trying to show off his wealth. Or, the recipient could receive it with, with gratitude. Thank you for being so generous. Out of the goodness of your heart, goodwill that you share your wealth with me. Thank you. I don't think the recipient would question, man, you are being selfish. But sometimes that's what we would end up doing when we say God created us so that he may receive glory and honor. God, you are being selfish. That does not make sense. That's the greatest thing that God could, the greatest gift that God has done for us is so that we may finally understand and see who God is, fully just displaying his beauty before us, looking at this whole universe. As I said before, the grand Canyon was like floored, but just a small, you know, just drop in the bucket. There's a vastness of the universe, ginormous. We are just a little, just little, it's just we are really nothing, and yet God has created us. Is showing his glory to us. And we say, wow, what an awesome God you are. That is the greatest gift that we could ever have from him. You see, how we understand these things really comes down to our view of God and how we perceive and process these truths. If we really have a low view of God, someone who is on a human level, someone who is flawed, someone who is limited, finite, if we just bring God to our level, of course it may sound like when, God, when we say God created us for His, so that he may receive glory and honor, we say, oh man, that's being selfish. That's because our view of God, we are trying to understand God, look at God from our human level. Then we would conclude that God's purpose of creation for his good pleasure and glory is self-centered. Of course, we can't help but to think of it that way. But if we have a correct view of God, that it only makes sense, and we would come away with a conclusion that it is the most gracious thing that he could have ever done for us, that he created us. He allowed us to see his glory, his majesty, that we may understand the infinite worth of God. God created us, and he sustains us. So that means implication is that we owe our existence to God. And the second, second point is that it, it, it's related to that. It gives purpose to our existence. It gives purpose because we owe our existence because God has created us. It gives purpose to our existence. Romans chapter 11, verse 36, very simple verse, but it's profound from uh, for from him and through him and to him are all things to him be glory forever there in that verse from him it's talking about that god is the source of our life from him are all things and through him he's saying that god is the agent through which we were created and we are sustained it's through him are all things we still are here Because God is sustaining us, and to him are all things. It's talking about the meaning of existence, meaning of our life. Why do we exist on this earth? We are not the product of some mindless evolutionary process that we should live without purpose. Neither are we the source of our own existence that we should live for ourselves. We are the work of God. And that means that we should live for his purpose and for his glory. There are many of us, there are people in this world who live without any purpose. They don't know why they are alive. Just, they just live. And there are people who live with a purpose, but a misplaced purpose purpose of fulfilling their own dreams. But scripture says, to him. Are all things the meaning of our existence the meaning of our lives is to give him glory do you truly know the meaning and the purpose of your life is it to get to is it to get a high-paying job get married get a nice house nice car settle down start a family and make sure that they succeed in life and work long enough and hard enough for a comfortable retirement? Is that what you are shooting for? Is that the meaning and the purpose of your life? Is that what you are aiming at and making it the purpose and the meaning of your life? He says, to him are all things. It is not to be. To him be glory forever. You know, in Latin phrase, soli gloria, To God alone be the glory. The only proper response when we realize that God is our creator and sustainer is to humbly give to him the highest honor, adoration, and praise. We worship God to the degree that we acknowledge his highest place before us as creator and Lord. And we humble ourselves to the degree that we acknowledge our place before him as creatures. That we are his possession, created for his glory and good pleasure. If you think that God is, yeah, God is, uh, yeah, he's Lord. But if you have a small view of God, if we just give him, yeah, God deserves this much, but the rest of it is mine. This belongs to me. I need to have, I need to fulfill my dream. I need to make sure that I get a good job, comfortable life, make sure that my kids are doing well in school. That's the, the, that's the, the, um, the degree that you would really worship God and give to God. But if you truly understand that our life, we are not made for ourselves. We are made for him. He would drive us to live a life that is pleasing to him, to glorify him, glorify him at all, at every turn. It's the reason, the reason why we are not is because God is not that important to us. Paul Washer says, when the creation is correctly understood, it works to lay all men prostrate before God with reverence, trembling, and a real sense of utter dependence upon the one who made them. If we truly understand, have a solid understanding of who God is and who we are, then we cannot help but to say, God, I belong to you. I am made for you. Take my life and be glorified in me. Could we draw even one more breath if God did not allow it? Do you think that you can take another breath if God did not allow you even at this moment? We may think that we, of course I can. I can breathe. I'm still healthy. I'm fully aware of myself. I'm fully conscious. We may think that. But no. The reason why we are still breathing in and out even at this moment Because God is allowing you to take that breath. Without Him, without His purpose, God would take us at any moment. The debt we owe Him cannot be measured. If you think carefully, think about it deeply, the debt that we owe Him cannot be measured the fact that we are still alive, we enjoy our life, it's because God is allowing, God is sustaining us. Not because we are young or not because we are healthy or because this is just the way it is. It is because God is allowing you to take the next breath. The worship of God and when we realize this, how can we not worship God and praise him and recognize who he is if God is our creator and if God is a sustainer, the worship of God is our highest privilege and greatest responsibility. When we worship him, we are at last fulfilling the purpose for which we were created. We were created to worship God, give him thanks, give him due praise, God thank you unworthy person like people like a uh, person like me you are allowing me to continue on in this life in this journey for your purpose because you are gracious and you are even though i fall so many times i stumble so many times god you are still allowing me to continue on in this life this life that, that i have we have we do not deserve but by his gracious sustaining power we are still living in this world not because we are better than other people not because we are deserving more deserving than others that we are here if you think about that we cannot help but to give him due praise and honor though unworthy as Unworthy as we are, God has been gracious to us. He's calling us to recognize him, acknowledge him at every turn, at all times. When we realize that, give him uh, praise and live according to his purpose. And when we do that, that is the purpose of why he created us in the first place. May that be our uh, approach and our life. Let's pray. Let's go before the Lord. Just take a moment to think about this. Yes, we all know that God is created